Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Today I just want us to look at a topic which I believe is very important for us Christians. Um, and that's the, I, I titled that needing to be convinced. Um, essentially, it is something where when we look at what we believe in today, there are so many theories that we can believe in. There are so many things that are not necessarily factual, but that we like to believe there are fallacies, there are dreams, there are stories, there are documentaries, all sorts of things that we can put our heads around and say, oh, yeah, I, that's fine, you know, I, I believe in that. Uh, nothing too difficult for me to understand. Or sometimes also our habits make us think that what we do is right, and therefore we are convinced about the way we live our lives. We have the Tories who believe that the way they lead this, gover- this, this country is the right way and the labor will think otherwise. So many people think about so many things in various different ways. Now, as Christians, we also need to really balance things out. It is the world that today wants to actually make us to be convinced about things that are not. And equally, sometimes we can be confused about what the truth really is. Sometimes we can be a bit unsure on how to handle all these things floating in our minds and down, you know, in front of us. What's the truth? And we will be looking at the book of Romans. It is a very wonderful book. It is a book that Paul has written sort of as a statement of faith, of his faith. And I want you please to look, uh, to open your Bibles to uh, Romans 8. And um, Romans 8 is actually a very specific um, chapter of the book, which, which I like, particularly because when we look at the background of Romans 8, there are so many things. Um, Phil earlier said that, you know, we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. There was one of the songs that we sang, and some of the words we don't always think about it, but it is in Romans 8 that we find this. We are more than conquerors. And equally, Paul is telling us something. He say, I am really sure of something in my life, in everything that I've seen, in everything that I've experienced. And remember, Paul has had shipwreck, he's had hardship, persecution, he's been put in jail, he's been beaten up. All these things, all these experiences of life made him make a statement that today I want us to look at. He said, I am persuaded, I am convinced that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. So therefore, it means already that there is the love of God. Karen will want to feel the love of God through the church that we are. There is the love of God despite our situations. I mean, sometimes we look at our lot and we complain. But it doesn't mean that God has forsaken us. And what Paul is saying today is very critical. Let's open the Bible to Romans 8, and we'll read from chapter, um, from verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. 
No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then the next verse says, and I'm convinced, in other version of your Bible, or depending on the Bible you have, you say, and I'm persuaded that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things in the future, nor height, nor death, not any other created things can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we commit this time into your hands. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as I grow through the scripture, Lord, that you will open the hearts of your children, and that, Lord, the truth and the statement of Paul will even come alive in us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to come back, there is a statement. Somebody made a statement one day saying, we are really pretty thin, thin on conviction today. We are pretty thin. We tend not to believe, as I was saying before. We tend to believe things that are not necessarily true. Well, Paul today is saying, I am persuaded. The question for us Christians is, what is our persuasion? What are we convinced about? What are we really holding on to? How do we want to live our life? How do we want to actually pursue the things that God has put? Is actually also a demonstration of what we are persuaded about. That's a key question for us. Let's not underestimate the fact that there are so many things we can believe. But the word of God is one and true. The word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is something that we should, as Christians, be persuaded about. It's not something that we should toy or temper about. How many Christians, how many times you have heard Christians saying, you know, I believe in the word of God, but just part of it. I don't really believe in that part. I believe in that part. Or I believe in that scripture because it speaks to me more than the other. So the other is probably not for me. Well, the Bible says that from Genesis to Revelation, we need to believe the word of God in its entirety. Because what God is one, and his word is one. And the word that he speaks is meant to accomplish the purpose for which it is spoken in our life. It is true. We went some time ago to the British uh, was it museum that we went to see to check some artifacts of the Bible. And it was a wonderful experience because then you go and see that history tallies up with the Bible. The Bible is not dissociated from history. It's not dissociated from what we are going through life. Paul, when he's addressing that church, when he's saying, my confession and my belief is that nothing can separate me and should separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, what he's saying is that God is a loving God. That's the first statement. Before being able to be separate from something, it means that you are, first of all, in relationship, or that there are ties with that thing. And he's talking about separation from something that is the love. The love of God for us is called agape love. It's a, God, it's a love that is unconditional. It's a love that is real and certain. That we cannot be double-minded about it. It is a love that is given to us. We don't deserve it. It is given to us irrespective of our situation. 
I can go to a very tough time in my workplace or at my workplace. I can really struggle in completing an assignment. I can struggle with my health that I can't, don't even want to continue to hear about Jesus Christ. I can have my pockets really wide open and empty. I can have a bank account that struggles to even be in the black. That does not mean that God has forsaken me. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten about me because the Bible says he has written me on the palms of his hands. He knows me by name. He knows every hair that is accounted on my head. That's the Bible that we are li- believing in or that we should believe in. So therefore, when you have a brother or sister coming to you and saying, look, I'm not too sure about the word of God. In love, please correct them. The love of God is not, it doesn't waver. It is steady. It has been there from generation to generation to those who accept the love that God has. Because as a child, it is easy to actually say, God, you know what? Keep your love. I keep my life. It is easy not to accept the love of parents. As children, we do that. But it doesn't mean that even when the children are stubborn, the parents will actually remove themselves from loving the child. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul speaks to a church that was about to undertake, uh, to undergo serious persecution. A church that was not too sure at the time of where he was standing. Persecution was coming, famine was coming, and Paul is saying that, look, in the middle of all these things, please be persuaded that God loves you. Jesus Christ died, but Jesus Christ is also risen, and Jesus Christ also intercedes right now for us at the right hand of the Father. So let not your situation, let not your circumstance dictate how you respond to God's love. It is real. And I know that, you know, Hebrews 6, 1 is telling us, let's not debate about the elementary principle of our faith. Let's not debate of whether we have faith in Christ Jesus. Let's not debate of whether Christ really died. Let us build on that and move on. That's what the Bible is encouraging us to do. But the reality of our lives, when we wake up and when we go to bed and when we go through the motions of life is that we have these hardships that we face. And some of, of them, like Karen today, will, will probably think that life has been hard on her. It doesn't mean that God is remote. In fact, sometimes life is so hard that we can only get that comfort back from God. Because it is only in God that we have that assurance. He said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, that's what we need to be convinced about. We can debate about how to lead this nation. We can debate about, you know, what theory we believe in. But we can't debate about the love of Christ. Because it is real. The Bible says, try me. Test me now. See if I'm wrong. And if I will not give unto you the things that your heart desires, that's the God that speaks to us. He's our God. And what Paul does here, interestingly, Paul is actually going through 10 elements, 10 different things that really could destroy or hinder our belief in him. Death. He said, I am persuaded that nothing, that's the first statement, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Then he says, no debt. Why does he mention, what does he talk about debt? He says, no debt and life. So if we look at debt, the first thing is, before Christ died on the cross of Calvary for us, debt was a separator. Debt was something where once we enter debt or the world of the unknown, we are separated from God because we are sinners. 
There wasn't that bridge, there wasn't that link, there wasn't Christ. Death was actually really having the, the power to take us away from what God wanted, which is eternal life with him in heaven. So Christ has conquered death on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says, where, death, where is your sting? Where is your power? It's no longer there because of Christ. And Paul is saying, make no mistake, death has lost any power. Even if death wanted to, you know what? We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the children of God. We can't lose our salvation. We can lose the love that God has for us today. Not today, not tomorrow, as long as we are stayed in God. As long as we believe in him, as long as we accept him. That's what Paul is saying. No debts. It's okay, let's discard that. Now, the truth is, if we look at normal relationship, when we lose somebody, we think, well, when next? When are we going to see them next? I've lost my parents, so I know what it is. The first thing you are like, well, I hope they were Christians. And once you are convinced that they were, God only knows, you think, okay, one day, I will meet with them in heaven. So, that could separate, but... In Christ Jesus, because remember, all what Paul is saying is that the love of God is in Christ Jesus. So the love of God because of Jesus Christ. The love of God is there and has conquered that. Jesus has. So we discard that. And then he says, no life. Well, why would life not be able to separate me from the love of God? There is something very interesting that Charles Spurgeon said one time. He said, life is something I'm scared about. I'd rather be dead than being alive. Because when I'm dead, as a Christian, I know where I'm going. I know I will be with the Father in eternity. I will be with him. When I'm alive... Every single day that I live, there are challenges. Every single day that I live, there are banana skins on the road of my Christianity that can make me, you know, sleep and make a mistake. Sin against God. One, two, three times. Then I can backslide. Then I might lose my salvation because I might decide that God is no longer God. So he says, life is dangerous. Also because life as so many things that entice us to be doing the things we think are better for us and not to listen to the still more voice of God. We might believe that to be better off, we should go our own way. To get rich, work hard, be successful in life, where God has already promised that he will give us abundant life. So life is actually a tricky thing. And Paul is saying, be careful about life. Because life here is not the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Life here is the appetites, our appetites as human beings, that actually always go towards living life against God. So life cannot even separate us from, 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 from Christ, from the love of Christ, from the love of God. Then he says, angels or demons, principalities and powers. That's a bit difficult to explain. Why will he talk about, what will he talk about angels? Angels are supernatural beings. They are angels of light. Well, there is an angel of light, however we want to put it. And they are all these principalities and power, force of the darkness. Now the Bible is the same Bible teaching us that be careful, we are in a spiritual war. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities, against power, against the power of the darkness and the things of this age. 
And Paul is saying all these things, even if they wanted. Because sometimes, you know what? We attribute them more um, focus, or we focus more on their supernatural power and strength to be coming and messing our life than we should. We should focus on the ultimate power that is above, which is God, and not of the spirit and lost spirit that are hovering and zigzagging between heaven and earth to make life of Christians difficult. There are principalities, the things that are established against God's kingdoms and against the principles of God. They can't. They will try. It doesn't mean that they will succeed. And our confidence, and that's why he's talking, our confidence as Christians is to believe in the God who has saved us, in the God who is there with us 24-7, because he has deposited his spirit in us. And he says that he that is in us is really greater than all these things that are out there in the world. That's the God that we serve. If really he does not love us, that's at another rhetoric. If God were to not love his children, he will not have given Christ for us. And from that very perspective, we do not need any further convincing. No angels, no principalities and powers. Then Paul goes on, no things present, no things in the future. The way the Bible, my Bible read it here, and that's the New Living Translation, it has a very interesting uh, reading of it. He says, nothing, sorry, I'm actually going back. He said, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Our fears for today is what sometimes makes us blurred in our assessment of who God is. Our fears for today is what makes us make the decision that we take as opposed to taking the decision that we are asked to be taken. If because of fear for today, I feel that, you know, I'm a contractor today, I set up my own company, and I decided, okay, that's the way I will go about it. Well, I've prayed about it as well. But say today, I'm being told, you know what, your contract expires in two weeks' time. And I will start thinking, what about providing for my family? That's the first question. To that question, there will probably be an element of fear. Oh, well, I might actually spend a month, two months, three months, or a year without employment. What will I do? And to that, I will then start thinking of, I need to get a job at all, by all means. Oh, there is that job this Sunday. It pays double rate. It pays whatever. And I'm thinking, that's it. That's what I should do. And I will tend to forget that if it is possible, I should avoid. Sometimes it's not possible. And you have to work on Sunday, you have to work on Sunday. But there might be other elements where God is willing, if I'm patient, to provide another type of job he might pay not as well, but that will still provide because he will be the God meeting my needs. That's Jare, that is his name, he's my provider. So he can provide even a job as a shepherd in the local shop that I can go and do some till work as long as I can provide for my family. But what I'm trying to say is that the fear might dictate how I respond and where I go to look the job that I feel is going to befit my situation. God is not willing that we let our fears take over. What are our fears today? Let's look at them. Well, let's look at it like in a mirror. What are our fears? Is it unemployment? Is it being childless? Is it being without spouse? Is it being without money? They are fears that we all have. 
And the same Bible is saying in Matthew 6, worry not. I think we just came out of a teaching from Pastor Peter for the past six weeks where we looked at the book of Matthew. We shouldn't worry about now, the future or tomorrow. We can't provide for ourselves. We can't change the situation. But we should trust in God. And you know what? In our trust to God, and that's also why Paul is saying, our fear for today shouldn't actually remove or make us forget about the love of God. Because the fear for today will prevent us from praying. God is asking us to pray. He's not telling us to be quiet. And we were encouraged just earlier this morning, pray. Pastor Peter said, pray. Pray for your situation. Because by praying, we know that we pray to God who hears and who answers. He said, behold, I'm not deaf that I cannot hear you. So he will answer us. But then also he's telling us to pray without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro, like he's unsteady in all his way. And he says, let not that man, that James 6, James 1, 6, let not that man or woman believe they will receive anything from the Lord. So we want to actually be sure today that our fears do not translate in us thinking God has forsaken us. God hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't forgotten about us. Why do I keep on saying that? Because it's the truth. And because as Paul is persuaded, so I should be. I shouldn't think twice about it. I shouldn't try to be convinced by another Channel 4 program that God doesn't exist. I should read and let the Spirit minister to me. And that's what happened to Paul. He will have gone through these hardships, but he will have realized that God was still present in his life. Paul didn't let the fear of being imprisoned, he didn't let that prevent him carrying on with the ministry. He didn't stop doing good, because the Bible says, do not do go weary while doing good, for in due time you will reap, if you do not lose hurt. He didn't lose hurt, he carried on the task. He said we are accounted like sheep for the slaughter. What does he mean? It means that they were pursued. They were actually really persecuted, chased around for their faith. We can't even say at the office we are Christians, let alone to do what Paul did. But the Bible is saying, let not our worries and concerns and anxieties and fear dictate to us. So nothing for the present should separate us from the love of God. And then he moves on. He moves on to the future. Aha, the future. Jaron, do you know what your future is about? No? I know. A secret ball. Pastor Peter gave it to me. <laughs> we don't know what our future is about. God knows. But the truth is we can't influence that future. God can. So, because we don't know what the future is about, the truth is we will want to succeed in life. We will want to, to have a good life. We will want to, to make good earnings. We will want to look after our family. We will want to ride a good car, have a nice house. We will want to retire safely in a very nice Ireland or maybe somewhere in Britain. Well, is the future that we see for ourselves. The future that God sees for us, his children, is a future that is made of no suffering, no pain, no sorrow. These two features might not necessarily reconcile. God is there and we are there. The future that he has for us are the plans he has for us before we were born. What do we want to do today to translate our ideas of the future 
back to what God has in plan. Nothing except yielding. We need to yield. And the future, sometimes people can promise you, you know when you are at school and you misbehave, your friend is telling you, on Friday, at, the end, at, you know, at 12 o'clock when we finish for school, I will beat you. You will get a good beating. Right? It happens to you. Sam, okay. So your friend promised you, I will beat you, right? So you wait for that Friday and you start becoming scared. And you say, okay, you go to, how can I learn a few defensive techniques? Not to be beaten. And then on Friday you decide, oh, well, your mom is telling you, get up, take your breakfast, go to bed. I have a headache, you know, I'm not feeling well, I don't want to go to school. Because you fear that beating. But ultimately you end up going to the school. And then you find out that the person who wanted to beat you is actually being punished by the teacher, right? So he can't come out to beat you, and you're happy. You go home for the weekend, happy that you haven't been beaten. Well, God protects us that way, because the future, the devil wants to destroy us. He says he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's always on the lookout 24-7. You think you're not praying for an hour, he's looking for you the very minute you wake up. And that future, he wants to take your life. He wants to take the life of your family. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to take what you believe in, which is God. And he's going to make you take that part of the Bible, scrap it. He's not actually a, a godly man who wrote it. The future of God is what is for us. Is is what we need to believe in. Let nothing take it away from you. But even that future, the future that you think for yourself cannot separated from the love of God. Because in that love, God has traced that plan until eternity for you and I. Then he says, no height, no depth. Height, what can be considered as height? Is, you know, think about that. You take a plane, you fly today, you decide to go to any holiday, and then you look down, and you think, wow, if this plane goes down, then I'm down. But every time you go up in life, every time you feel good, everything is easy, your marriage is working, your finances are good, people wish you happy birthday for your birthday, you feel that you received the presents you wanted, the new iPhone, the new iPad, everything is rosy. And you are there, up there in life. What you don't know is that there will be a time you are going to find yourself down. There is a time that because of life situations, you will find yourself at a low help. And that's why even the psalm is saying that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I go to the difficult situation, I will fear no evil. Because the heights are things that sometimes, you know, okay, let me rephrase it. When we are high, we assume that we have everything we want, right? And the Bible is telling us not to love the world, for instance. Not to love the world of what it has to offer because sometimes it offers us things that will make us feel high. Sometimes it will make, offer us things that will make us feel that we don't need God in our lives. Sometimes it will make us feel that we are invincible. The heights of life, the glitter, the glamour, all these things will make us feel that we are superhumans. But God is telling us that the riches, the love of the world, cannot be part of us. We cannot love these things. They are immaterial before God. 
Because if we love these things, and sometimes they can entice us, and that's what the Bible tells us do not to love money, right? Because the love of these things is enmity with God. That's what he's saying. Do not love the world, not the things of the world. Do not love the things that you see. Because the love of the world is against the love of the Father. But God is saying, even the heights, through Paul, he's saying even the heights, even the lows in life, when you are persecuted, when you are downcast, when nothing is working, nothing is greater and able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And now he says, no other created things. That's the tenth aspect of things. No other created things. I must admit I struggle to really tag it properly. No other created thing. What is other created things? Is anything and anything. What he's saying is a generic statement here to say that he's done everything in circle. He's looked at everything in his life. A life that was under serious challenges. But he realized that nothing, it's just to say nothing, can really separate us from the love of, of, of God. And today, I'm thinking about myself. Can I make that statement when nothing is working, when my children are sick, when my spouse is not feeling well, when my brothers, my sisters are having their own issues, or worse, when I feel, I'm feeling naked, completely naked, and I have nothing to offer? Can I make that statement when I feel really cold in the night and where I have so many thoughts battling in my mind? Can you and I say today that irrespective of where we find ourselves in life, of whatever our lot is, or how many times our hopes have been crushed, can we say today that we are persuaded that God loves us? Can we? Because that's what Paul wants us to be able to reaffirm. He says, forget about the other things in life. These things which you worry about, which God knows, cannot. Cannot means they cannot. It means it's tried and tested. They cannot be greater than agape love. So if then we know that they cannot. If then we know that we haven't got what we want, but we have our needs met, and we haven't got the latest gadget, but we have God with us, then it means that we will rejoice. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. We will rejoice because we know that God watches over us. We will rejoice because we know that our future is secure in him. We rejoice because we know that even if we go through tough time right now, we still have the tools of prayer. We still have the tools of faith. We still have so many tools that he has equipped us with to actually fight the good fight, to make that race. We are in a race. God is not going to give us legs or supersonic legs to run with. He's equipped us. He's given us all things to run that race of life. Do we want to be defeated because of our lot today? Because everybody has their lot I can't, I can't wear your shoes and you can't wear mine. Paul couldn't, but he was telling the church that was going to undertake a lot of persecution, please be careful. Do not miss the point, which is that God loves you. And today that's what we should remember about. We are getting to Christmas, 
Some of us have probably started buying the Christmas presents for our family, grandchildren, and so forth. We are going to see families. We are going to eat a lot. We are going to rejoice. Sometimes with people that we don't even love. For what we call in French, le paraître. You know, showing that we can be there. Truth is, God does not look at our sins. He does not look at how inconsistent we are. He does not look at how weak we are. He looks at Jesus in us. I loved you. I've let my son die for you. Do not doubt my love for you. And therefore, you can believe what you want. You can believe that iPad or iPhone is better than Android. That's your call. You can believe that labels are better than Tories. That's your call. But believe in the word of God. Be established by it. And as David said, Behold, I've been old and young. Never did I see the righteous forsaken, nor is descendant begging for bread. So you will be in a position that is difficult today. As Pastor Peter put last week, the Son of God shines on the righteous and on the evil. But the goodness of God and the plans of God for your life, nobody, strictly nobody, nothing, as Paul said, can come against it. And you need to declare it. You see, Paul continued to plant churches. He continued to edify the brethren. He held out on God's promises. He overcame. That's what Phil sang today. We can overcome by the blood of the testimony of the Lord. We are overcomers in Christ Jesus. It's not in our friends that we are overcomers. It's not because we can actually take one or two friends going on the Friday so that we are not beaten up that we will overcome that fight. We are overcomers because of Christ Jesus, who has already overcome, who has won. Let's fight the good fight. Today I just want us to just take some time, the next two minutes, try to identify what in life is making us potentially think that God has forsaken us, that God does not really love us. Let's just take some time. And think about that. Paul counted ten things that could separate us. And yet he said that none of them is strong enough. None of them is worthy. None of them has the power to take that love away from you. And so shall it be. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.